Sunday, bloody Sunday, and thirteen dead and then. Bloody Monday, Clark run over by a Saracen. And Tuesday, bloody Tuesday, Michael Turner, age sixteen. And bloody Wednesday, Benny's bar, the bomb at Halloween. Thursday, Gerald Kelly killed before his family. Friday, bloody Friday, and then there's Saturday. Of the days of this year, two have come to be known as bloody. Bloody Sunday on 30th of January, when the soldiers shot 13 men in the streets of our ancient little city of Derry, out on the far Atlantic edge of Europe. And bloody Friday on 21st of July, when terrorist bombs killed nine people in Belfast. But every day of this past year could have been labelled bloody, every Sunday through to every Saturday. Over 400 people, soldiers, police and civilians have died. Thousands have suffered injury and mutilation. 2,500 of us have moved house through fear of our neighbours. Some of us burned houses down to persuade our neighbours to go away. Some of us burn our own houses so that no one else can have them after we've fled. In traffic accidents on the roads, another 300 have died and thousands have been injured, but this non-political slaughter does not reach the headlines. It is the tribal excitement of political slaughter that interests humanity and politicians and you and me. Why doesn't someone explain? Why doesn't someone explain? We are a Christian country, God-lovers to a man. But as for loving neighbors, it seems we never can. The Protestants hate Catholics and the Catholics hate the prods. Yet think that in our churches we were praying to different gods. A million decent bigots out there fighting in the rain. Why doesn't someone explain? We have a political scientist for a neighbor. He tells us with intellectual emphasis that this is no way to run the northeastern end of any island, even Ireland. We call him our friendly neighbourhood Egghead. He will explain to us for the price of a bottle of stout that we have our slaughter and the world publicity that goes with it because we are a divided community, one million oranges and half a million greens who live in fear of each other. With his long, thin nose in and out of his guineas, he will tell us that the world is full of such divided communities groups that share territory but do not intermingle. He will tell us that many countries have achieved political institutions which meet the problem, and he'll cite Switzerland as an example, a place where the federal constitution is so carefully constructed that the German Swiss and the Italian Swiss and the French Swiss all yodel the same tune together up and down the mountains from year's end to year's end. He will tell us that the world is also full of places that haven't solved the problem, like the Middle East and like small Ulster. His voice will now take on a deep and solemn note, like the bell of some mighty Presbyterian monastery, and he will say that everyone, by which he means us, everyone who takes sides in a divided community is part of the problem and not part of the solution. And securing the conviction that he is the solution and that we are the problem, he then leaves the pub without buying us the other half. No sensible man in Ulster would pay any heed to such nonsense. We Ulster people know very well whose fault the troubles are, if we are oranges, we're the solution and it's the greens are the problem. 
and if we're greens, we are the solution, and it is the oranges who are the problem. And since, therefore, we are all of us right and none of us wrong, then who can blame us if we ask again and again why it is that the world is only shown a violent ulster, why it is that no one will explain to the world what nice and kindly people we really are. Why doesn't someone explain? Why doesn't someone explain? We are loyal men of Ulster, bold William Craig's dragoons. We carry sticks and guns about and sing old party tunes. We're going to fight the IRA, all Catholics if we must. Even the British soldiers, for them we cannot trust. We'll die beneath the British flag, this link we will maintain. Why doesn't someone explain? Why doesn't someone explain? But can anyone, even a friendly neighborhood egghead, explain paradoxical behavior? My father used to visit a friend in a mental home. This man's behavior was always quite sane until the word wheelbarrow was mentioned. The man would then say, I am a wheelbarrow, and he would get down onto his hands and knees and wheel himself away. In Ulster, we live sane lives and we lead them courageously in the face of our own terrorism. We shop on foot in barricaded towns, we escort our children to school. We do business as usual in shuttered shops and hotels, in guarded factories. We submit to interminable searchings. We patiently bump our motor cars across the road ramps at walking pace. We remain cheerful. But as soon as someone mentions politics, we turn at once into oranges or greens. I am an orange, we say, or I am a green, and we get down onto all fours, as it were, and wheel ourselves off presumably to the nearest greengrocer, or, I suppose, orange grocer. And the more solemnly violent we become, the more ludicrous our actions. Oranges will kill British soldiers so as to remain British. Greens will bomb and kill oranges and everyone else, with a view to uniting us all into one happy and holy republic of all of old Ireland. Why doesn't someone explain... Why doesn't someone explain? I'm travestied on radio and lectured on TV. They say all Ulster men are mad, but have they looked at me? I am a Catholic communist, a follower of Pierce. I'm really all for brotherhood, although my ways are fierce. I know I'm right, I'm sure I'm right, they've no right to complain. Why doesn't someone explain? Internment without trial breeds anti-internment rallies, and one of these, back in January, if you remember, was a wintry seashore event at McGilligan Camp out there at the mouth of the foil. The security forces had barricaded the beach against the marchers, running barbed wire down to the water's edge, but the tide went out and the marchers were able to make their way round the end of the barrier. In the sharp wind, walking on the wet sand, thousands of Ulster people thus protested against imprisonment without trial, that fundamental insult to the human spirit. Yet inside McGilligan camp, among the internees, were violent republicans who were able, paradoxically, at one and the same time to be outraged at their imprisonment and also resolved to get on with bombing their fellow men as soon as someone could be persuaded to let them out. I'm cooped up in McGilligan The rain pours down all day we're short of eggs and jamison and even cups of tea. 
Those fascist pigs of England are the cause of my downfall. Without due legal process, without a trial at all, I've bombed a little factory and a pub and a hotel. I've tarred and feathered teenage girls courageously and well. It was my duty to the cause before my late downfall. When they pent me in McGilligan without a trial at all. But justice always triumphs, for God is on our side, and English tricks and treachery will tremble in their pride. When I regain my civil rights and I get back to the falls, to blow. The British troops to bits without a trial at all. But the contradictions pent up inside the head of the lad in McGilligan are nothing to the contradictions pent up in the heads of us Ulster churchgoers. Our friendly neighbourhood Egghead was guest speaker in a Protestant church hall, Church of Ireland perhaps, or Presbyterian. There was no Guinness for him, but he didn't mind. He had the sound of his own voice to console him. He talked about the need for toleration among Christians, tolerance in education, tolerance of other sects. He suggested that intolerance had led to Ulster's present shame, to a situation in which the church has provided a ready-made framework with Christian labels for gang warfare for everyone from the age of five upwards. He mentioned the second great commandment, to love one's neighbour, and he sat down. An elderly man in a clerical collar got to his feet at once and told him he was a traitor to the Protestant religion and the Queen. Our egghead was unhappy, for the more talkative he grows, the more sensitive he becomes. Another member of the audience noticed this and came up afterwards to comfort him. I declare to God, he said, referring to the outspoken elderly gentleman, I declare to God, every time that man gets to his feet, Christ flies out of the window. Our egghead always cites this story as evidence that there are Christians still among us. These days you must not produce evidence of Christianity among Protestants without balancing it with evidence that Catholics can be Christians also. Some months ago, during a discussion in Belfast attended by both Catholics and Protestants, somebody said that it must be awkward to be an Irish missionary in foreign lands just now, preaching love and forgiveness, and yet having to confess the name of the island where he had been taught as a child to love and to forgive. Someone else said that the missionaries would be getting on all right, that it was always the best of the clergy who went overseas. A Falls Road Catholic agreed with this. They take the Holy Ghost with them, he said, and they leave us the hierarchy. I'm a holy Christian soldier, but I'm stuck out on a limb. I try to love all men except for him and him and him. I've told them just how wrong they are, but eloquence was vain. Why doesn't someone explain? Our egghead now said that perhaps the nearest thing to an explanation of Ulster was hidden in the ancient tale of the orange fox and the green scorpion. 
the two beasts met on the banks of the river Row at the place between Dungiven and Limavady where the old bridge used to be. I said I thought St. Patrick had got rid of all the scorpions out of Ireland. He overlooked this one, said the egghead. This green scorpion told this orange fox that it couldn't swim and would therefore be grateful for a lift across the river. The fox replied that it would certainly give the scorpion a lift. But do not sting me, the fox said, because if you do, not only shall I die in agony, but you will drown because you cannot swim. The green scorpion said that of course he would not sting the orange fox. Halfway across the river, the scorpion stung the fox. Dying in agony and sinking into the busy travelling waters of the row, the fox yet managed to ask the scorpion why he had stung him. The scorpion, before finally sinking to drown, managed to get its reply out. Because this is Ulster, he said. I suppose I said that the fox could have been green and the scorpion orange. Certainly, said our egghead. Let's not have any zoological prejudice around here. Why doesn't someone explain? If you go north along the river road to Dungiven and then west along the road to Londonderry, you will come to the village of Claudie, where people live quietly together as though unaware of their tribal chiefs and holy medicine men. On the 31st of July, the village was bombed. Nine of its people, Protestant and Catholic, died together in full view of the hills that make a high horizon at each end of the street. The sparrow surrounded the foreign floors by at each end of the main street, the hills and the sky. The small town of Claudia at ease in the sun. Last July in the morning, a new day begun. How peaceful and pretty if the moment could stop. Michael Henney is straightening things in his shop. His wife is outside serving petrol. And then a girl takes a cloth to a big window pane. And Joseph McCloskey is stretching his feet. And McClellan and Miller are sweeping the street. And delivering milk bottles not far away Young Temple's at work at his first job today And Mrs. McLaughlin is scrubbing her floor And Artie Hone's crossing the street to a door And Mrs. Brown looking around for her cat Goes off up an entry, what's strange about that? Not much, but before she comes back to the road, that strange car parked outside her house will explode. And all of the people I've mentioned outside will be waiting to die, or already have died. An explosion too loud for your eardrums to bear And young children squealing like pigs in the square And all faces chalk white and streaked with bright red And the glass and the dust and the terrible dead For an old lady's legs are ripped off 
and the head of a man's hanging open and still he's not dead he is screaming for mercy and his son stands and stares and stares and then suddenly quick disappears and Christ little Catherine Aiken is dead and Mrs. McLaughlin is pierced through the head Meanwhile to Dungiven the killers have gone and they're finding it hard to get through on the phone The sparrow surrounded the fawn flows by at each end of the main street the hills and the sky the small town of Claudie at ease in the sun last July in the morning a new day begun The devastation in Claudie took place the same day as the army's operation motorman the Claudie bombers and victims do supply like the scorpion and the fox, a reason, even if it's not an explanation, why we then needed 21,000 soldiers, one for every 70 inhabitants, to keep us from each other's throats. Although this does not mean that the British Army itself is not a bit of a paradox, since it contains thousands of Irishmen. One battalion we had over here included six men who wore the United Nations Congo Medal earned when they were members of the Irish Army. To the more orange and green among us in Ulster, this intermixture of young British and Irish soldiers is a paradox and sometimes an affront. These must also have been the feelings of the Dublin crowd that burned down the British Embassy in protest against the British Army's actions on Bloody Sunday. To the governments in London and Dublin, close partners in the new Europe, this particular paradox must, however, be a source of hope. But it was this apparent paradoxicality that in May of 1972 cost young Ranger Best of the British Army his life. At home on leave in Derry's Bogside, he was taken and shot by fellow Bogsiders of the Irish Republican Army. He brought a friend home to the house for tea Then said he had to ring his fiancée A mother watches her youngster go News of his death comes on the radio Some British soldiers from the city walls Had shot a younger boy out playing ball Or so they say, however hard you try You'll never get behind so many lies the dairy women then spoke out next day at official headquarters of the IRA. We blame the soldiers for what they do. By that same token, we are blaming you. For Manus Deary, we marched yesterday. Down to the barracks of the soldiery We hardly care now who holds the guns We'll stand for nobody who kills our sons 
monastery and ranger best and Gerald Kelly and all the rest how many more will have died in vain before our people live in peace again Maybe we shall do better in 1973. The brave Catholic women of the Bogside are setting us an example. They seem to be seeking not victory for any faction, but just an island they can recommend their children and everyone's children to live in. The Protestant clergyman Joseph Parker said in September that it had taken the death by bombing of his 14-year-old son Stephen to make him realise that we had all failed miserably, all in his context meaning everyone in Northern Ireland, orange and green together. We seem to need the shock of slaughter to make us think. We've started thinking, now perhaps we'll stop slaughtering. In which case, we shall not any longer need to ask why someone doesn't explain what kindly people we really are. As the noise of killing dies away, the other things we do will become discernible. The teachers who patiently teach the toughened children from the bigoted and frightened homes the social workers, the trades unionists, the churchmen and political canvassers who work patiently for the spread of human policies and contemporary thought, the farmers, the shipbuilders who earn us £27 million from Norway, the aircraft makers who sell a million pounds worth of sky vans, the naturalists who study and protect the Ulster countryside, Mary Peters of the gold medal, Jimmy Young of the jokes, the poets who write poems, the composers who put them to music, the singers who sing them. Out beyond the window The hills are white with snow If I had the money It's there that I would go The courage or the money to break the ties that bind on the high and empty mountains I'd leave you all behind if I was on the mountain and all my time was mine I'd look down at the houses And watch the slate roof shine I'd see the warm smoke rising Through the freezing air I'd think of chairs around the fire and wish that I was there. 